Good singing this morning. Sometimes you come in on a rainy day and it's everybody's dragging today overall. Everybody seems to be pretty pretty good today, so I appreciate that. Um, it's always nice when people pretend like they're awake when they come in in the mornings. Um, makes it a little easier the rest of the day. Philippians chapter 2 this morning, Philippians chapter 2. Did you click on the link in the email? Yep, sorry. All right, Philippians chapter 2, technical difficulties. As the people listening to the podcast later will be like, what are they talking about? By the way, you can always find past sermons. We post Sunday mornings and most of the time Sunday afternoon as well. Um, if you search in wherever you listen to podcasts, um, Bible Pathway Baptist Church should pop up. I know we're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor, and I believe we're on a few others as well. Um, so if you ever miss a Sunday or you fall asleep during a service and you want to go back and listen, um, it's available for you uh, on uh, podcast platforms. Just search Bible Pathway Baptist Church and you should be able to find us. If you can't, just let me know. I can send you a link um, as well. But uh, Overall, you should be able to find them on there. Philippians chapter 2, and um, you've heard before, maybe you have, I, I assume you have, maybe you haven't, um, the acrostic for the word joy, Jesus, others, and you. Jesus, others, and you. Our message today isn't really about joy, but that's our, our topic today, Jesus, others, and you, and joy is mentioned in our text today. Let's read a few verses here in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse number 1. The Bible says, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels of mercy, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things upon in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This morning I want us to look at three simple points, Jesus, others, and you. Lord, I pray for your help this morning as we look at these 11 verses. God, I pray that we would uh, be encouraged about the things that we're reminded of today. Lord, I pray that we'd be challenged, that we would be better, um, Lord, that we'd live better for you. And God, I pray that we'd grow in knowledge of you and your word this morning. I pray that as I present these verses, that I would do it clearly and, and, and correctly. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, here, when we talk about joy, uh, the first thing I think of when I think of joy, I think of smiling. 
Uh, I don't know if, what you think of when you think of the word joy. Some people might think of Christmas. We talk about joy around Christmas uh, time. But when I think of joy, I just think of the simple action of smiling. Walking around with a smile on your face, being joyful, being pleasant. A lot of times joyful people are pleasant. Sometimes they're annoying, but most of the time they're pleasant. And, uh, and here, as the letter is being written to the church of Philippi, we saw in verse number 2, Fulfill ye my joy... And he's saying that if you will continue to live this way, if you'll continue to act this way, if you'll continue to be this way, um, I will still be joyful in what I think of you, the church at Philippi. But really in this passage, and we're going to work somewhat backwards through this passage, but in this passage we see here the, the, the command or the request of being uh, unified, of one mind, of one accord. We see the idea of not being selfish. We see... Uh, the idea of the following the example that Jesus Christ gave us. You've heard it before from me and from others. Jesus is our ultimate example. The fact that Jesus Christ came to this earth, the fact that Jesus Christ made the decision to come to this earth and spend time in the flesh as we live in the flesh, He did this for, for a few reasons. The main reason, He came to seek and to save that which was lost. The main reason he came was to provide salvation for sinners. But he also came and in coming gave us an example, not just um, an example from the Creator, but an example of the fact that he says, I lived and I walked in your shoes. I understand, he understands it without doing this, but it makes it easier for us to comprehend the fact that he understands the temptations and the daily struggles and the having to deal with people and the, the things of life and, and the temptation of Satan and sin, he went through it also. And so even though he didn't need to do that to understand it, he did it for us so that we could see the example that he gave us. So I want to start with that uh, today. Jesus, my example. Jesus, my example. And he did this in a few different ways. Number one, we need to follow the example and be humble like Christ. Jesus, my example, and the example of humility that he gave us, humble like Christ. Uh, we see a mind like Christ in verse number five. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Think and do the things that Jesus thought and did. Be like Christ, have this mind in you as Christ had this mind as well. Matthew eleven twenty nine. Christ says... Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest in your souls. He says, take this mind that I have. Be like I am, for I am meek and lowly in heart. The greatest example of Christ's humility comes for us in verse 6 and verse 7, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. This is important. Christ is the only, and if I can use the word human, uh, Christ is the only human who is ever equal with God. Because he was God. And so he thought it not robbery to be equal with God because he was God. He says, is it in 1 John or the book of John? I forget. I think it's in the book of John. But he says, I and my Father am one. They are the same. They are God. And Jesus thought it not robbery to be equal with God because he is God. There are people who have lived on this earth who have said, I am like God. And they were wrong. Not only are they wrong, they paid a consequence for it. There have been many leaders across the, the history books of this world that have thought they are so powerful that they are equal with God. There have been nations who have thought God is nothing compared to them. 
You see, that's not the way it is. It's not reality, but God, Christ, being in the form of God, thought it not robber to be equal with God, but he made himself, verse 7, of no reputation. He became low. And he took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Isn't that interesting, that, that word, the verbiage being used here? Because Christ, God, made man in his own image. And when Christ came to earth, he took on the form of a servant and became in the likeness of men. He became, uh, as men are, in the flesh, pain, emotional, physical pain. He put on this form of a servant, this form of a man, and he came and became flesh for us. And he came down here, and you have to think about this, the humility it took for Jesus to leave heaven. We could talk about heaven, it's a whole sermon in and of itself, the perfection of heaven. No darkness, no sin, no pain, no emotional suffering. We sometimes as kids focus on streets of gold and mansions and these kinds of things. But as you get older, you realize the, the, the perfectness of heaven with the addition of being with God in person is the fact that we don't have to go through the sufferings that we go through on this earth. The loss, the crying, the, the sorrow, the mourning, the, the, the hurt that we get there in life, when we get to heaven, we don't experience that anymore. It's perfect. And the reason why it's perfect is because there is no sin. So much of our pain is caused by sin, whether it's ours or someone else's. So much of our hurt is caused by sin. I, I, I sorrow with folks who have lost loved ones due to uh, drunk driving accidents where someone drunk crossed the median or hit them or whatever it was. And then you sit there and you think, well, why did that have to happen? Why was that person so selfish? Why was that person so careless? And now I don't have my sister, my brother, my son, my daughter, my spouse, whatever it is, because this person did something so, so wrong. I, I sorrow with those who have lost children. I can't imagine, and I try every day to not imagine what it feels like to lose a child. But there's great pain in that. We all lose loved ones at some point in our life, and there's pain and loss. But in heaven, we don't experience that. And you think, now, God, the creator of the universe, took upon flesh to become man, and the humility it had to take for him to become a, a human, to become a person, to become flesh. That's great humility. We have to be humble like Christ, but Jesus, my example, not only in humility, but also in obedience, obedient like Christ. Look in verse number 8. He became, and being found in fashion as a man... He humbled himself and he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And there's a reason why they word it that way, why God chose to give it to us this way. Obedient to death, even the death of the cross. You see, death in and of itself is, is never fun. But death on the cross, this is a criminal's death. This would be similar to you and I being uh, sentenced to the injection or to the, the electric chair. You don't get that because you're a good person. You get that because you're a bad person. You get that because you've done something so incredibly evil and wicked that, uh, that your life is now going to be taken because of that. Christ became obedient not just to death, but the death of the cross. It was going to be painful. It was going to be embarrassing. Uh, you think about how embarrassing it is to be stripped of your clothes and hang up 
in front of the public for the whole, the whole public to see you hanging there, vulnerable, along with all the pain that goes into it. And they gave extra pain to Christ. You remember in his, uh, uh, in his so-called trial, his beard was ripped out. He was being hit by people saying, can you guess who that was? He was being spat upon. He had a crown of thorns jammed into his head. You know what? When Christ came to earth, when he was born, and what we celebrate as Christmas, he knew what the end result was going to be, and yet still he was obedient to that cause. We look at the commands that God gives us in Scripture, and we see the things that God has told us to do to love our neighbors to be obedient, to, uh, if you're married, to love your spouse as the husband, as Christ loved the church, and as the wife, to submit to your husband, as children to obey and to honor your parents. We see uh, many different things throughout Scripture. And we sit, sometimes we sit there and we think, man, why is God so mean to me, making me do all these things? We're just like children. Why does my mom make me do this? Why does dad make me do this? And when we grow up and we turn into the same things, why does God expect me to forego this fun thing or this enjoyable thing and live a life obedient to him? You see, Christ says, listen, I'm asking you to be obedient to me. I came and was obedient to death, even the death of the cross. My obedience is an example to you to be obedient, no matter what the cause is. God calls some people into to full-time ministry, and I think specifically of missionaries. And God, it's not a phone call and it's not an audible call, but God touches someone's heart and tells them, convicts them, that they, he wants them to go and serve, serve him. I remember... Uh, this happening to me, I remember as a 19-year-old, um, I was, I was uh, just finished my freshman year of college, and I was sitting in a service at camp, uh, I was working at camp, but sitting in a service at camp one night, and the sermon was not on this. As a matter of fact, I have no idea what the preacher was preaching on, but the whole time God was working on my heart, he said, Vince, the direction that you're going right now is not the direction that I want you to go. Your plans for your future are not my plans for your future. And he began to speak to me and tell me he wanted me to serve him with my life and, and work in ministry. And I remember praying that night and just saying, Lord, I will do that. I surrendered to that. God, if that's what you want me to do, I will follow you and I will do it. And I remember years later, several years later, probably, I don't know, six, seven years later, God again speaking to me and saying, you're in ministry, you're serving me in ministry, but I want you to go into a preaching ministry and begin preaching. And so I made that commitment as well and that surrender as well, and, and here we are today. And I think, though, though, what God has called me to do is to serve in America, and uh, to, uh, it's still not much changed in my life, just instead of being what I wanted to be in a basketball coach, and becoming famous and the best basketball coach ever, uh, God says, I want you to be a pastor. So instead of working as a basketball coach, I serve as a pastor. You know, a missionary will get told sometimes, I, I want you to pack up. I want you to move away from your family. I want you to go serve in this country where you have to learn how to speak another language. I want you to start churches and train people. I want you to uh, serve me in this way. It's going to mean 
that at Christmas time you're not going to be with your, your, your family. Um, the benefit is that you don't have to be with your in-laws either, but uh, the, I'm just kidding, uh, in-laws are great. And you're going to be away from your family at Thanksgiving. You may not have turkey and stuffing. You may, it depends on where you're at. Uh, but you're not going to be with your family. Um, you know, you're going to be away for years at a time. You won't see your family in person sometimes for one, two, three, four years at a time. And along with that, many times they're, they're taken to a place, God leads them to a place where they don't know anybody. And they have to start basically anew. Think about kids. Kids make a sacrifice as well. And they're just obeying their parents and following their parents. But with all of that, you can look back, and, and at times you can look back and be angry at God. Well, I missed out on this, and I missed out on that, and, and all these kinds of things. And God says, I came to earth from heaven. <laughs> I left perfection to come live in this chaos. And the end result was me being persecuted, me being physically and emotionally beaten, hung on a cross, displayed for, for the society that was screaming crucify him, naked and vulnerable. I was obedient to that, and I did it for you. Because I think that the least you could do is be obedient as well. God does not ask you to do things that he did not do. He didn't have to do them, <laughs> yet he did. And he says, follow my example. Be obedient like Christ. Be humble like Christ. Be obedient like Christ. Be on purpose like Christ. Look in verse number 10 and 11. That the, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, the things of heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the purpose. This is the purpose that Christ came. This is the purpose why Christ was humble. This is the purpose why Christ was obedient, that one day every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that he truly is God. We should be on purpose in our life like Christ was, for the purpose of bringing people to Christ, for the purpose of bringing glory to God. Because there is going to come a day, and we can study it through Revelations, we have years back and we will eventually again but study through revelation and 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 the way that i believe the bible teaches the time frame is the next thing on the church's uh menu so to say on the church's schedule is uh the rapture christ will come back and the 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 christians will be taken off of this earth and then there's going to be a seven-year period of tribulation and there's going to be um uh, global government issues there's going to be things going on. It's, going to, it's not going to be good. The Antichrist will be here. There's, that, that, this is a very brief description of what's going to happen. There's a lot of detail in Scripture on this. And, and through all of that, uh, at the end of that tribulation period, Christ returns again, and that's when ultimate judgment is passed on the earth, sin removed. And you see, Christ says at that moment, literally everyone will understand that he is God. But you see, our purpose on, in life on this earth is to help people see that before that time comes. To try to help people understand that, that there is a God who loves them. That there is a God who died for them. There is a God who is going to punish sin, yes, but, but he also has given a, a, an opportunity for forgiveness of sin. You see, so oftentimes we live our life on our own purpose, on our own cause our own agenda, 
that we fail to follow Christ's example and live on purpose as Christ did. Christ said when he came the first time, um, when he came, and we read about it in the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, um, he says, I'm not coming to judge at this moment. That's not the reason why I'm here. There's a day that's going to come. I am going to come and judge, but I'm here for the purpose of saving. You know, when he was, uh, um, uh, about the time that he was crucified, many of the Jews thought that he was about to set up his kingdom, that he was going to go sit on the throne, he was going to usurp authority and be the king of kings. He said, that day is coming, but it's not now. You know what, there is a day where God will sit on the throne and the world will see him as king of kings, but at this moment we have to live for the same purpose and cause that Christ lived to bring people to God that they can confess that He is God, that they can see that He is God, and our purpose should be like Christ's purpose was. Jesus, my example. Number two, number one, Jesus, my example. Number two, others, my goal. Others, my goal. Look in verse 3 and 4 again. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, and let, uh, let each esteem others, other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. This is a, a good point made here in Philippians. They're all good points, but a good point made here in Philippians. We need to stop being nosy and looking for gossip and, and get to the point where we're truly just trying to um, get to know people so that we can help people. A lot of society says, I want to get to know you, but the reason why they want to get to know you is so that they can know everything about you, so that they can talk about you, so that they can know all the juicy details in your life. If you're like me, there's not a whole lot of juicy details to know. But uh, nonetheless, people want to know everything about you so they can say they know everything about you. But God says in verse number four, look not every man on his own things, but every man on the things of others, not for the purpose of being a busybody, but for the purpose of helping, for loving, for doing things. Start trying to get to know people so that you can better love them. Look for the good in others. The bad's typically pretty easy to find. So search out the good. You may have a coworker that you say is, in your mind, evil, wicked, sinful, uh, openly and blatantly godless. You can see that it's not hard, so look for the good. Look for the human aspect. Look for the, the, the comparison between you and them. How you're similar, because I guarantee you, you're similar in some way, shape, or form. The Bible says that we are to love our neighbor, and that's not meaning next door neighbor, it includes our next door neighbor, but it's just meaning those around us. The strangers in the grocery store, the co-workers, the literal neighbors next to us, the people that we see on a daily basis. God says to love them. Well, how am I going to love them if I'm trying to figure out the details of their life so I can gossip about them? I'm not going to love them that way. How am I going to love them if all I do is complain about how bad of a person they are? You're not going to love them that way. You have to love people, and it has to be a goal that you set in your life, a decision that you determine between you and God. God, with your help, I'm going to love these people. That is my goal. You see, Jesus is my priority. Jesus is my example. Others should be my goal. How do I biblically love others? How do I biblically care about others? How do I have compassion? I've heard 
the best definition I've heard of compassion is love in action. Not just loving them, but doing something because you love them. Compassion. God looked at the multitudes and he had compassion. So what did he do? He fed them because they were hungry. He said they're walking around as a sheep without a shepherd. So what did he do? He taught them things about him. We look out at the world and oftentimes instead of compassion, saying, well, they're hungry, so I'm going to feed them. They're a sheep without a shepherd, so I'm going to provide for them biblical knowledge and try to teach them and train them and help them. Instead, we look at them and go, I don't want to go near that person. I don't ever want to see that person again. Those people are evil. Those people are wicked. Those people are uh, nasty. Those people are whatever. And instead of having compassion on them, we are doing God's job of judging them. Listen, sin is sin, and we should never be okay with sin. We should never accept sin. We should never be like, it's okay, you just keep doing that. But we can still love them without accepting their sin. And it's hard. Don't get me wrong. It's not, it's not simple. It's not easy. Well, you know what? Christ did it, and he's our example. He says, live as I live, do as I do. So we ought to do better at making others our goal Jesus, my example, others, our goal. Then number three, let's focus on us a little bit. You, lower than I like. Or me, I guess, lower than I like. Jesus, other, and you. If we did Jesus, other, and, and me, it would be John, and that doesn't make any sense. So joy, Jesus, others, and you. Focusing on yourself a little bit. Look in verse 2 and verse number 3. It says, Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. We ought to be single-minded. And by that I mean focused on Christ. Our priority is Jesus. Our priority is God. The Bible says in John that he, God, must increase, but I must decrease. Sometimes we're doing pretty good at increasing God, but we never decrease ourselves. So what we do is we say, well, God's here, and then I'm here, and then all those wicked people are somewhere, somewhere over here. But the Bible says he must increase, but I must decrease. Not only am I lifting up Christ, I'm understanding I'm not anywhere close to Christ. As a matter of fact, without God, I am nothing. For with God, all things are possible. Without God, who am I? So not only do I increase Christ, I decrease myself. I'm single-minded. I'm not saying, well, how can I worship God and make my life better? You can't. You can't serve God and mammon, the Bible says. You have to pick one. You have to choose. Are you going to serve God or are you going to choose self? Single-minded. Solely on Jesus Christ. You say, well, what about myself? I've got to pay my bills. Well, if you're focused on Christ, he's going to help you pay your bills. Well, what about this need that I have, this concern that I have? If you're focused on Christ, he's going to help you with that need and that concern. But I can help God. No, you can't. <laughs> you can either serve God or you can get in the way. You see, single-minded. 
here in verse number two, he says, like-minded, one accord, one mind, focused around Jesus Christ and his purposes and his cause. Oftentimes, we are slow to point out um, faults in ourselves and quick to, uh, to really point out the mistakes in others. Here it says in verse number three, in lowliest lists of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. If you will flip that around a little bit, we ought to be slow to point out the faults in other people. We ought to be quick to find the faults in ourselves, take those to God and get them taken care of. It's easy to overlook the problems in your life, the sin in your life, the things in your life. We're not supposed to be self-deprecating. We're not supposed to be walking around with our head dragging because we're just such a bad person. You ever met somebody like that? I have met Christians who they're just walking around and you're like, man, what's wrong? Oh, I'm just such a, such a wicked person. I was driving today and someone cut me off and I thought in my head, that wasn't very nice. I can't believe I thought that. <laughs> Wait, no, that's not what we're talking about. But we ought to be quick to see the faults in ourselves, to, to fix the faults in ourselves, to uh, have the purpose of trying to be pure and right with God. Esteeming others above ourselves, understanding that others have needs and, 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 and need help. Let's esteem those things. Slow to point out their faults. Quick to help them. Slow to, to justify not helping them because of their faults and quick to saying, God, you love them, so so do I. It says here, um, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Strife will it cause unnecessary contention. And there are so many things in life that we just don't need to argue about. I have uh, things in my life that I have just decided, no matter what someone else says, I'm just not going to argue with them about it. Many times you're going to learn there are going to be things that you're never going to change their mind on. They're never going to change your mind on. Just let it go. There's no reason to strife over it. And here, God says, don't, don't, don't let anything be done that's going to cause unnecessary contention. It's going to cause, we're talking to the church here. Uh, within, within the church, people will have opinions that differ. And that's okay. Don't do things that you know are going to cause problems that are going to stir up things. There are ungodly things that need to be addressed at times. But many times, problems within the church, and I've seen it firsthand, it just begins to bubble because someone doesn't like something about the other person. And so they decide we're going to have a conversation, and I'm going to tell them what I think. It's going to cause problems. And we decide that we're going we're to argue over little things. I've watched people backhandedly, you know, well, you're doing this with your children, and I'll tell you what I would have done. <laughs> That's not helpful. I've also seen people that came to someone and said, hey, would you have any interest in having a conversation about raising children? Talk about how you do and how I do, and we can talk together and that kind of stuff. And that can be helpful. Some people still won't want to have that conversation, but, but it can be helpful if they do. But those little backhanded comments, those aren't helpful. We all have opinions because we all feel like what we're doing is the right thing, right? In marriage, 
you see the way one married couple acts, and you think, well, that would, we would never do that. Okay, good. Don't do that. Doesn't mean you need to cause problems because you think that they're doing it wrong. Right? If there's a problem and you can help and you can do it in a loving manner in the right way, then by all means go for it, but let's not cause problems. Don't let it be done through strife or vainglory. Who are you doing it for? That's the best way to, to ask the question we're talking about vainglory. Who are you doing it for? Are you doing it for yourself or are you doing it for God? If you're doing it for yourself, there's just there's no reason to do it. He's talking about in the church specifically here, and this applies all throughout life, but in the church and, and, and the things that they're doing, being of one mind, being of one accord, of the same love, let nothing be done, nothing be done, nothing, that word is pretty simple, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. Why are you doing it? Who's the glory going to? Who, is it tr- who are you trying to get the glory to go to? And who is it going to? Because sometimes that's two different things, right? Sometimes we're not trying necessarily uh, to gain the glory, but the way that we're doing it, it's going to only bring glory to me. Let nothing be done through strife and vainglory, but of lowliness of mind. Of humility, let each esteem other better than themselves. You see, Jesus is our example. Others should be our goal, and ourselves, you, it's going to be lower than you like. Being number three on the totem pole is lower than I like. I don't know about you, Um, Jesus, others, and me. I, I don't like being number three. Not naturally. So that right there tells me I'm already lower than I like to be. But you know what? God says follow my example and be humble. Esteem others first. Love other people. Serve other people. I'll hit this last point we'll be done. I, I performed a wedding one time. I was the, the preacher at the wedding. And we were doing the rehearsal. So you're going through the rehearsal and we got the husband and the wife, the bride and the groom there and the family's there. That's all that's there at the time, the people in the wedding. And we're talking through, this is how it's going to go, this is when we're going to do it, here's what I'm going to say. And after we got done with going through like the vows and things like that, everybody's just kind of doing their own thing, and the mother of the bride comes up to me. And she says, I want you to take this part out of the vows. And it was something to the effect, I don't remember the exact words that I was using, but about being obedient to the husband. And you understand because society today will tell you the wife shouldn't have to obey the husband. If you follow scripture, the scripture never says the husband is the slave master. The scriptures never say that the wife is nothing and lowly and should just stay in the kitchen. The, wife, the, the, the Bible doesn't teach that. But the Bible does teach that there is roles within the home. The husband is the head of the home. He answers to God for what happens in the home. Therefore, the wife is to submit to the husband. She is created as a helpmeet to the husband, not as a slave and a servant, as a helpmeet to come alongside and help the husband, complete the husband. But 
she is told by God to be submissive to the authority that God has placed for the husband in the home. And I remember thinking to myself, I was, I don't know, 27, 28 at the time. This lady was rather brash and, and whatnot. And I just remember thinking to myself, what do I do? I took it out. Now, thankfully, the bride is submissive to her husband even today. And the bride wants to be a biblical wife. She wants to serve God, and they are together serving God. But you see, we're told by the world, ignore the role that God's given you. Don't listen to what God has said about your role within the home, within society, within whatever. Don't listen to that. Do what you want. Do what makes you happy. God says, no, you need to, first of all, follow Christ's example. Secondly, you need to lift others above yourself. Thirdly, focus on yourself and understand you're going to be lower than you want to be. You know, if you'll accept the role that God's given you in your life, wherever it is, whether it be in the home, whether it be in the workplace, whether it be in the church, wherever it is, if you will accept the role that God has placed on you, I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, it will not be for nothing. You say, well, no one else sees me doing it. No one's patting me on the back. No one's saying, good job. If you'll stay faithful, you'll get the best congratulations you could ever get when God says, well done, a good and faithful servant. God never... Listen, God never says, well done, thou good and faithful pastor, president, boss, servant. God says your role is to serve, serve God and serve others. And God will reward you for your faithfulness to obey. Jesus, my example, others, my goal, you lower than you like. Philippians 2, verses 1 through 11. Lord, help us, I do pray. Naturally, this is against everything that we are, have in it within ourselves. To lift anyone above ourselves, let alone you, Lord. God, I pray that you would help us to see not only are you God, but you've also given us yourself as a perfect example for how we're supposed to live our lives. God, help us to be humble like Christ, obedient like Christ, and to live on purpose as Christ did. Lord, help others to be our goal. Help us to stop being worried about everybody else and how they're living, but to focus instead of on the being nosy and gossipy, Lord, to, to figure out how we can better get to know people so that we can better love people. Help us to see the good in people as opposed to only seeing the bad. Lord, help us to follow your command to love our neighbor. And God, I pray that you'd help us. Lord, help us to be single-minded, focused on Christ. Lord, help us to be quick uh, to, uh, uh, to take care of our own problems in our life and slow to point out the faults of others. God, help us to not do things through strife and vainglory. God, help us to be what you want us to be. And we know what that is because of who you were when you walked on this earth. God, today, help us to make the adjustments that are necessary in our lives to be who you want us to be. 
With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you'll remain seated for just a moment, I want to ask you a couple questions. Question number one is very simple. Is Jesus Christ your priority? And He cannot be if Jesus Christ is not your Savior. Jesus came and He died on the cross and He rose again from the dead for the purpose of providing for you salvation so that you didn't have to spend eternity in hell. Today I want to ask very simply, if you're here this morning and you would say, Preacher, I know a little bit about God. I've heard about God. Maybe I know a lot about God, but I do not know if I were to die today that I would go to heaven. You say, don't, don't embarrass me, but if you would please pray for me, I would appreciate that. You would say, Pastor, this morning, if I were to die, I don't know that I would go to heaven. Would you pray for me? Just slip your hand up and slip it right back down. Anybody like that today? Wonderful. So that means everybody's saying they know for sure they're going to heaven. So let me encourage you with this. Are you being humble like Christ? Are you being obedient like Christ? Are you living on purpose as Christ did? If you're not today, would you please make that commitment to do so? If you've been living your life selfishly as we naturally want to do, you say, I haven't been putting other people in the place that God has told me to put them. And I need help with that today. Would you go to God and just ask Him for help? Have you increased God but not decreased yourself today? Would you say, God, I'm just not where I'm supposed to be. God, help me to be where I'm supposed to be. Would you stand with me, please? Heads bowed, eyes are closed, the piano are playing. If you have something you need to pray about uh, with God today, would you please do so? You can come to the front if you'd like to and kneel. You can stay at your seat if you'd like to as well. I'm going to be quiet, let the piano play, and let us pray as God has told us to do this morning. Lord, we thank you for being our friend. God, although we fail you and let you down many times, I pray that you would help us to be what we ought to be. Lord, uh, may, we, may we see how good you are, how great you are. Lord, may we see your example that you've given us in your word. And Lord, may we follow it, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Jason, will you come? What number was that? 355. We're seeing the first verse. 355. What a friend we have in Jesus if you need it. 355. And then we'll be dismissed as soon as we're done singing.